welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says this, This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. This is a victory that overcomes all of the world. It's our faith in God. Should I say it again? This is the victory that overcomes the world. You are called and born to be an overcomer, an overcomer, an overcomer. So today I release the life of God over you, over your mind, deep into your spirit that causes you to see that you are an overcomer. And there's victory inside you today. This is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Amen. I want you to turn with me today to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It will be on the screen. And I want to talk to you today about how faith in God brings the victory. How faith in God brings the victory. This month we're talking about the victorious life. And there is no other life for the Christian to live but a victorious life. Because you've got the one who's victorious inside you. So it will be a great message today. And I want you to declare with me as I preach and say amen. That word amen is your, it's like a, that you are decreeing eternally that this is true over your life. Let it be to me today, Lord. So let's get involved today. Don't be spectators, but be participators in the word. This really is God's word for you today. God has a word for you. God wants to speak to you. And don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Embrace the word today. Be hungry today for the word. Just grasp every word I say. Live on every word. Reach out. Because the Bible says his words are spirit and they are life. And if you grab a hold of what I'm sharing today, it will change your world. So you have to be hungry. You have to be desperate. You have to be thirsty. You have to take this word and, and nurture it, not just today, but right throughout the week, and let it penetrate your world. God has set me up this year for abundant life, and I'm going to embrace it in its fullness. I am going to learn how to live victorious in every area of my life. Whatever area you need a breakthrough in today, God wants to bring victory. Whether it's finance, health, your mind, relational, whatever it is, God desperately wants to get victory into your life. And you ought to be excited about that. Some of you are saying, well, I've heard all this before. Well, you're going to hear it again. Because the problem's not in the word, the problem's in the hearer. That's what Mark says, it's be careful how you hear, because with the measure that you hear is the measure that you receive. And if you don't hear with a hungry heart, even what you have will be taken away. So you have a choice today. And we want to welcome those that are on live stream today, those that are listening on YouTube. God has a word for you as well today. Amen? Amen. So we bless them. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place... He would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That word means hostile. By faith, he made his home in a hostile environment. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. So this good message is for everyone today. It's for every generation. It's for every people class. It's for every education, male, female, it doesn't matter. This message I'm speaking today is for everyone. By faith, he made his home in a hostile environment. You say to me, Andrew, you don't know what I'm going through today. I want you to know today that when you get a hold of the faith that I want to talk to you about today that leads to a victorious life, you can thrive in any environment. They were heirs with him of the same promise, for they were looking forward. How many years did they look forward? Well, we know thousands. To the city who had foundations. That word foundation is a metaphor 
for a system of truth. They were looking forward to a city called the kingdom of God, whose architect and builder was the Lord. What an amazing passage. So the first thing I want to say to you today is that we are called to overcome a hostile world system. You were designed to overcome a system that is hostile. And you and I know that we live in a system that is incredibly hostile towards what we believe and who we are. But we were designed to overcome that hostile system. By faith, Abraham made his home in, a, in the promised land like a stranger in a hostile environment. You know, when Adam was first created, he ruled the earth with delegated authority. Hebrews 2 verse 6, you may want to read this. There is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for them. This is how God designed mankind at the start. And this is how he's designed you today. In a hostile environment, he's designed you as an overcomer. Listen, you made man a little lower than the angels. That word angels also is the word for God. So the writers actually were saying to us that you made in the beginning mankind, you and I, just a little bit lower than God himself. That's, that's pretty impressive territory to belong in. You are an overcomer. God made you just a little bit lower than him. And God's not intimidated by the hostility of this world system. You crowned him with glory. So God put a crown on you. That glory is the anointing and the power of God is upon you today. You are crowned with the anointing of God to overcome. Put on your crown today. In a hostile world, remind yourself, I was made in the image of God and I wear a crown today. This anointing of God is on my life. The moment you get born again, I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. Regardless of how, how I act, I have this crown that God has given me. He gave them a crown of glory and honor, a position of authority. Man was given a position of authority and then he was anointed to rule and reign with him. And he put everything. What? Everything. That, no, no, just most things. Now, you don't understand, Andrew. I'm, I'm not very good at that. Now, he put everything under your feet. This is how he designed man. In a hostile world, he says, I have put everything under your feet. Sickness, disease, lack, whatever it might be, he put it under your feet. And in fact, he's in heaven now waiting for all his enemies to be placed under his feet. And we are the body of Christ. He's waiting for us to exercise the authority that he gave us in a hostile world, to occupy. He put everything under his feet. In putting everything under, under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Did you hear that? Do I need to read it again? In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Wow. There is nothing on earth that God said will overcome you that you will be subject to. That's the Bible. Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you believe part of it. But that's what God said about you. Whether you believe it or not, that's the way he designed you, to leave nothing under your feet. Yet at present, oh, we do not see everything subject to them. God designed man like that, then something went wrong. And the way God designed man, something happened, and then he was not Lord over everything. And then it goes on and it says, but we do see Jesus. Oh, thank goodness for that. Man made in the image of God, man loses it, now we see Jesus. Who was made lower than God for a little while. He's now crowned with glory and honor. Do you see this? Jesus came. He came in the form of man, a little lower than God. He became as us to regain the glory and the honor that we had lost. And it says, now we see him crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. What sort of death? He suffered death. Well, what does that mean? He died. No, it means much more. See, death in the Bible is not just about dying. 
It's about he took on the spiritual nature of death. Death has been swallowed in victory. Death means an absence of life. Wherever life isn't, death reigns. So Jesus took the nature of death, the sin nature of death, and everything that is attached to that. He collected it all up and brought it into himself, the source of life. And death was swallowed up in victory. It's like the serpents with, with, um, uh, in Exodus where... Uh, the snakes came and Pharaoh's snake was swallowed by Moses' snake. It's death being swallowed up in victory. No matter how dark it is, light always overcomes darkness. Life always overcomes death. We see Jesus made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So by the grace of God, he will taste death for you. What amazing passage. So it was Adam that gave control to Satan. Adam handed it over. And because of that day, many of us still live in a fallen mindset, a misunderstanding about our relationship to God and our relationship with the devil. Let me tell you just again, in case you haven't got it, the devil has no power or authority unless you give it to him. Here's the truth about the devil In and of himself, he has no power. His power is a delegated power. It's when I align myself with him, when I give him my lordship, when I I come to him and I align my mind with him, that's where he gets his power. His power essentially is the collective authority of every fallen man is given to him. That's where his power comes from. That's why he seems to be so powerful because he is riding off the backs of every fallen person and using their authority. If no one aligned themselves to him, he would have no authority. And that's why the Bible says when we see him, we will say, is this the one that deceived the nations? Because of himself, he has no power or authority. So I reject the idea that says you need to be careful. The devil is really quite uh, a difficult person to deal with and you need to be careful what you say because he's this big hairy monster that's out to get you and can take you down. My friend, the devil is no match for a man or woman who knows their authority in Christ. Did you hear that? But Adam aligned himself. And because he did that, every decision that man would then make would be filtered through this cursed living. For when he aligned himself with Satan, he aligned himself with the heart of Satan. And his heart is one of lack and survival and and darkness and cursed. And that's why God said to Adam, because of this decision you've made, cursed will be the earth. Because you aligned your heart with negativity and darkness and unbelief, The world will be dark and full of curse, not because of me. But God always has got a plan. God always has a strategy. Adam fell. Adam brought darkness. Adam brought a hostile world through his decision. He allowed the enemy to come into this world and breed his hostility. But God had a plan. Let me tell you today, no matter what you're going through, God always has a plan. God has never left unaware. He was looking for a man that he could bring in the kingdom through because God is always looking for a man or a woman that he can come through their faith and bring the kingdom expression to the world. Today, God is searching the earth, looking for men and women that will say, God, I believe what you say to be true. No matter what I see or feel, I choose to believe that your word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. No matter what I feel, God was looking and he found a man. He found a man. I pray, God, find me. Find me. Look all over the earth, but look at me. I am a man of faith. Find me. Let your eyes stop on me. Does anyone else pray that? Pick me, pick me. He found a doorway. He found someone that would come into agreement with him. He found someone that would believe what he said to be true. 
God's greatest pleasure is to be, to be believed. His greatest pain is to be disbelieved. Do you understand that? His greatest pleasure is when you open the Bible and say, I believe. You become a gateway for heaven to come to earth. Abraham, the father of our faith. And that's why God says, whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. That curse, that hostility in the world, that's not going to get to you. When you believe in me, I'll cause you to be an overcomer. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. And whoever curses you, they will be cursed. It shall not touch you, Abraham. I've set you apart. You believe in me, my kingdom will reign. I will show all the world what, it, what happens when a man or a woman truly believes in me. I'll set you apart from all the other nations. You'll land and you'll not borrow. You'll be the head and not the tail. You will see what I can do when a man or a woman believes. How exciting. I wrote in the Gospel According to Noah, and if you've never read this book, you need to read it. And when I say read it, you need to meditate on it. Because there's revelation here that will change your world. Jesus came to reinstate us back to our original place of dominion. So we could express the lordship and desires of God on earth. To accomplish this, he engaged and defeated the devil in the wilderness as a man. And then he did it at the cross on behalf of all mankind. You need to understand the devil has been defeated in your life. Jesus did it as a man, and then he did it on behalf of all mankind. Everything that Jesus did was for you. And he said to the devil, you have nothing in me. And the Bible says that I'm now in Christ. I'm not in Adam. I'm in the second Adam or the last Adam. The devil has no power over you. His hostility does not belong in your life. His negativity, his darkness has no reign in your life. We are called to overcome a hostile world. Listen to me again. God is looking for somebody who will believe, who will put their tent of faith up in a hostile world and say, let the kingdom come in my house. Don't you want that? Keith shared a great message at communion about painting the door of our heart. And the angel of the Lord bypasses all the ones that paint the door of a believing heart that says, I believe in you. And God will make a difference between those who believe and those that don't believe. Why? Because his kingdom can reign in those who align their hearts with him. We are called to overcome in a hostile world. You can do it. You can do it. Number two, faith. So we're called to overcome a hostile world. Number two, faith is the doorway to victory. So we're called to overcome. That's great. Now, how do we do that? I'm about to show you again keys. If you will grasp this, it will change your world. Faith is a doorway to victory. I'm going to help you now if you want to be helped. And I know you do. Our faith in God is needed for us to live in victory. You can't be passive. Victory is not automatic. It's given by what Jesus did, but it's not automatically outworked in your life. You go, is that right? Well, just look around the body of Christ. So what is faith and how does it grow? The greatest definition of faith is in Romans 4, verse 20 and 21. Listen to this. Talking about Abraham. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And gave glory to God. Here it is. Being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. So here's the definition of faith. The next slide. Being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. That is what faith is. I am fully persuaded and convinced that God has the power to do what he promised he would do. Yeah. And I'm fully 
persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. And you know, you will never be fully persuaded as a casual believer. By just as church is, is the place to start, but you've got to pursue this relentlessly. Psalm 1, Joshua 1, read those. It tells you it's the pursuit of the relentless and you become fully persuaded. Because you live in a hostile world and if you're not fully persuaded, it will take you out. So you've got to be fully persuaded. In Mark chapter 4, you may want to turn to that scripture. Jesus teaches three parables about how the kingdom operates in our life. Nowhere is it clearer, in all of the Bible, in my opinion, nowhere is it clearer of, of how the kingdom works than in Mark 4, and particularly how faith works in the kingdom. And we need to understand this because we can never overcome unless we have faith. Faith is the doorway to victory. And Mark chapter 4, you should know it inside out and back to front. It should, you should med- I, have, I have thought over this chapter over and over and over and over and over again because it is the key to understanding how faith in the kingdom works. Is that clear? Mark 4. Say Mark 4. I've got to read Mark 4. Jesus uses a phrase, the kingdom of God is like... Have you read that? Has anyone read that phrase? The kingdom of God is like... He is giving you a clue. He's giving you a clue. He's saying, this is how the kingdom functions. If you don't understand how the kingdom functions, you're never going to have great faith and you'll never live a life of victory. The only reason a hostile world overcomes you is because you don't know how to operate in faith. See, this is not about whether you're smart or dumb. See, see, here's the thing. Walter read a story today about the fishermen. The same fishermen who were absolute failures, couldn't catch a fish to save themselves, a bit like Dean. (laughs) They didn't catch anything. But these same men when they understood the power of faith, they caught such a catch that they couldn't contain it. It's not about the person, it's about their faith. Do you get that? God is no respecter of persons. He responds to faith. Do not look at someone else and say, it's not fair. They get all the money, all the success. No, no, what it is, is they understand the kingdom. They understand how to operate the kingdom. Well, I can't... No, no, stop. Don't tell me you can't. The kingdom of God, you access it like a child. So you don't have to be clever. You just have to be hungry. Children are hungry, little critters. I'm trying to help you. Don't walk away saying, well, it's just too hard. No, it's not too hard. You're too lazy. You're too full. Too settled. Too happy. Being sad. It's true. Mark 4. There's a lot of ouches. So he uses the phrase, the kingdom is like. And then he tells us three parables. We don't have time to go through them all. But look at Mark 4, verse 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm going to paraphrase and just summarize it. He says, the kingdom is like this. The kingdom's like ground that has the capacity. The ground is a picture of our inner man, our spirit man. It has the capacity to bear 30, 60, and 100 fold. I always see dollar signs when I read that passage. I can't help it. I see increase in potential. God is saying, inside you, I put a money-making factory. I put an increase factory. I put a wealth factory, whatever it is that you want, 30, 60, 100 fold. He's put within you the capacity to bear beyond your wildest dreams. So it's there the moment you get born again. I don't care. It's there. Well, it's there. The kingdom of God is, is it, has created within you this amazing ability to be successful. And Jesus said, understand Mark 4. And it depends on how you hear. 
He says, for the measure that you hear, or the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So the issue isn't whether you have the ability to increase. The issue is how you receive the seed that wants to get inside you. That's the issue. Inside me is a hundredfold factory. And if I nurture that and I hunger after that, the seed that's in it, if I say, God, thank you for the spirit, and I pray this, the spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of you, I have the mind of Christ. I pray these prayers over me. Open my eyes to see. You will show me things to come. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty deep things that you don't even know. I will show you. The difference between success and failure is the ability to see what others don't see. Are you getting this? You don't have to be clever. You just have to be hungry. Mark 4, 26, so he says, there's the first thing. I put this incredible capacity. Inside you is a hundredfold machine. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm saying this is what Jesus said. 30, 60, 100 fold. In other words, he's saying the potential is limitless. Deuteronomy 1.11, there's a thousand fold machine there. Ephesians 3.20. Who knows how big that machine is? 3.20, yeah. Exceedingly abundantly. Above all that you could ask or think. Then he says in Mark 4, 26, we plant the word in our inner man and all by itself, it starts to produce faith. Faith is agreement with heaven and the earth, aligning ourselves with what he says. We plant this, the word of God in our hearts and all by itself. Look at me. If you will plant the word of God inside you, in your heart, in your inner man, if you would meditate and think on it when you go to bed, think of a scripture. Maybe it's one for the year, whatever it is. And meditate and meditate and meditate and, and ponder it. The Bible says that all by itself, the word has inherent power in itself to do the work that it needs to do inside you. Are you getting this? If you would take the word and plant it all by itself, all by itself. And then it happens, he goes to bed, as you do, and he rises up. Do you notice the order? We would say he rises up and goes to bed for a day, would you not? But not here. He goes to bed that he rises up. What's God saying? I do my best work when you rest. When you allow me to do the work, it will happen. He sets the end from the beginning, not the beginning from the end. It's a completed work. You need to understand when the word gets inside you, when you meditate on God saying the moment it gets inside you, it should be as good as done. Rest in it. Rest in it. Rest in it. The finished work. I'm going to talk in two weeks' time about the victory that comes out of the rest. Powerful. Then he says, the stalk appears. Yay! Finally! I've been meditating on this word for weeks and months. And then a stalk appears. And then the head. How's that? Hmm. But still no seed. No agreement between heaven and earth. The seed is the word. I plant inside me, but it's not alive yet. There's a, there's a head and a stalk, but no seed. I need the seed. I need what was planted in me, what came from heaven, to be real inside me. You can quote the word of God and it not be real to you. Have you met people like that? Mate, God, just all my... And you know, you don't believe that. He was like a parrot. There's no power in parroting. The power from a heart that believes, that is fully persuaded. And that takes time. And so the head comes and the stalk and the head, but there's no seed. And what we want is the seed. 
We want the seed that's in God's heart to be in our heart. That's when we know faith has come. What is in me is identical as to what is in him. Are you getting this? It takes time. Then it says, at last the mature head comes and with it the seed. Listen to this. The seed that is planted in the ground and grows into a tree, like you plant a tomato bush, tree, put a little seed in the ground, up comes a tomato tree. Yay! And we go, oh, that's amazing. But that's not the end. The end is when the tomato grows and you open up the tomato and inside the tomato is the same seed that you planted in the ground. Faith has come. Don't stop until the seed that's planted in your heart has become a living reality inside you. So it carries the same power. If God said, I shall supply all your needs according to my riches and glory, that power and conviction is now inside me. So when I say it, heaven and earth, there's an echo. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. That word have literally means echo, echo, echo. What he thinks, I think. We have become one. That's when faith comes. But there's no harvest yet. There's a seed. I've got a seed. I know that 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 I am blessed. Before it was a theory. I heard someone say it, but now it's inside me. Now it's become living reality. There are many people that live off the back of other people's revelation. Children off the back of their parents' revelation. I just watched recently, and I'm not saying it's wrong, please hear my heart, but I've watched ministries where their children's children are living off the back of their grandparents' revelation. And there's a a place where we, we, we can do that. We flow in their anointing, but every generation has to get their own revelation. It's supposed to get increase if the revelation of the grandparent has has and the effectiveness of the ministry has decreased as the grandchildren take over the ministry then something's wrong revelation increases the path of the justice like it's shining light that brines brighter and brighter and brighter to the perfect day every generations should be getting every generation's getting more and more and more revelation so it's going to be yours listen to me kids youth Young adults, whoever wants to listen, get revelation for yourself. Let it become real inside you. Oh, why do you believe? Oh, why do I tithe? Why do I, oh, because my dad told me I should. Well, that's, that's good to start with. But you've got to get your own revelation. It's got to be, even if my dad stops, I'm never going to stop. Because I've got my own revelation. It's real inside me. My trade teacher, when I was a printer, who was a Christian, asked me, he found out my dad did what he did and had an affair, etc., etc. Left church, and I was only 12 when he did that, and now I'm a teenager, and my trade teacher is saying, why didn't you just leave the church yourself? Why would you bother staying when you went through all this? Because he got my own revelation. I'm not living off the back of my father's revelation. I love God. How how could I do that? There's a deep burning revelation in my heart of who Jesus is. And so it says, the seed has come. So now Hebrews 11.1 makes sense. Hebrews 11.1 isn't so much the definition of faith, but the outcome of faith. Now faith is the substance of thing, it's become a living substance inside me. It's now evidence of things not seen. It's a substance. I'm a wealthy man inside because I've done a number of rounds with the Lord over passages of Scripture, and it's not a theory now. It's become a seed inside me. But the harvest hasn't come yet because the Bible says in Mark that he puts in the sickle for the harvest has come. Seeds there, but now you've got to cut it and reap it. And what does that mean? Well, with the heart we believe, the heart produces faith. Say it with me, the heart 
Say it loud. The heart produces faith. Very good. The mouth harvests faith. So it's very different. The mouth produces faith. That's where faith comes. Sorry, the heart produces faith. Faith is built inside me. That's faith. It's inside me. As I meditate, something grows on the inside. But the mouth is what harvests faith. You declare, you speak, you command, you decree, and the harvest comes. That's why the enemy is after your mouth today, because he knows if he can shut you down with your mouth, you will never harvest what God has given you. Many of you have had dreams inside, revelation, faith has come, and the enemy has taken you out. You have not received your harvest. You have not overcome. You're not living in victory because you don't realize that your words harvest the faith that has come inside. What farmer would leave tomatoes on a tree, on a bush, whatever it is, and never harvest them. That's not the end. You've got to harvest. You've got to decree. You've got to realize that your words are activating the angels. Mark 4, we won't go into this, but the tree grows and birds come into the tree, which are the angels, and they nest in the shade of the tree. God is saying that when you allow faith to come, it builds a tree, a revelation in your life where all the angels begin to gather and they're sitting in the tree awaiting your command. Hebrews says that they are ministers of those who will inherit salvation. They are sitting in your tree of revelation, awaiting commands from your mouth. Amen. That's why in Luke eleven fifty three and 54, the Pharisees who hated Jesus, it said that they sought to catch him in something he might say, that they would accuse him. Oh, the enemy wants to increase the pressure in your world. I know this from experience. When I've been believing and wrestling in realms of my life, and it seems as I believe and as I speak, the more I believe, the more I speak, the more pressure comes. Has that ever happened to you? Investments go sour, things go wrong, life goes amiss. It's all about pressure. Daniel 3, the three men knew all about it. They said, we won't bow. We won't bow to your command. We won't bow to your ideology, O king. So what did the king do? He increased the pressure. Think about it. How much fire do you need to die? How much fire? If you throw a man or woman in the fire, will they die? So I ask you this. Why did the king, why does it say he increased the heat of the fire seven times? Because it's a picture of the enemy. He always seeks to increase the pressure. It's a game. It's a bluff. He's playing with you. He who blinks first loses. So the Bible tells us that when the pressure increases and he wants to play with our mouth and stop us harvesting, hold your course. James says our tongue is like a rudder. Big ship, storm, but a little rudder directs the course of the ship. You need to understand that as faith comes into life and you're proclaiming the word of the Lord in hostile environment, seeking to take ground, hold your course with your confession. It is like a rudder. You see, we think it's insignificant. I don't need words. No, small things move great objects. He goes on to say it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Big horse, small bit. Who wins? The one that controls the bit. Like a little spark. Make a big fire. Do you understand here? The enemy wants to take you out. He doesn't want you to harvest in a hostile environment. The Bible here is teaching us in Mark 4 that you've got to not only cultivate faith as a victorious person, but you've got to know how to harvest your reward. And we do that with our word of confession. Faith is the doorway to victory. So you've got to understand how faith works. You keep it inside. You understand that the, your only job is to keep it there in good soil. And God will do the work. Listen, 
He will do the work all by itself. He doesn't need your help. He just needs you to believe and nurture the seed every day. And when the seed has come, you will know it. You will wake up one day and say, it's mine. Ah, it's mine. And the word that you speak will go forth with great power. Faith has come. I just want to finish because I started reading Hebrews about Abraham. In a hostile environment, by faith, he made his home in the promised land. A man of faith in hostility. And God picked him out. But I want to leave you with this thought today about victory. Because we often look at victory in our own little world. My victory, my family's victory. But we're part of the body of Christ and a big, big picture. Not just now, but all the generations that preceded. Because Hebrews says, listen to this. Hebrews 11.9 By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in a tent, as did Isaac and Jacob. They were heirs with him of the same promise. They were looking forward to the city. Men and women of great faith, right through Hebrews 11. What an amazing concept. I want to say to you today that faith ushers in a victorious reign for the kingdom. Abraham, by faith, was looking forward to this day. Our faith ushers in a victorious reign. Hebrews 11.39, all the men and women of faith were commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what they'd been promised. Think about that. Since God had planned something better for you. Who? You. Me. So that only together with us, they would be made perfect. That's why we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. John 4.37 puts it this way. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't work for. Others have done all the hard work. Yay! And you've reaped the benefits of their reward. Listen to me. Listen carefully. Your faith unlocks the reward of previous generations. This is bigger than you. I say it to my family. What we are contesting for is bigger than our own breakthrough. It's good to believe for breakthrough. We are, as a family, believing for a number of things to come to pass. And they're big things for us. But I say, Karen and I talk about it, it's bigger than us. It has wide-ranging effects for this body of believers. My breakthrough will be your breakthrough. My breakthrough will be the city's breakthrough. Our breakthrough will be a breakthrough for all those that preceded us, who died in faith, saw the promise from afar, worshipped and confessed there were but aliens and strangers. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Does not Paul say... In Ephesians 2.19, that you and I are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's family. The Old Testament saints, they were foreigners and aliens. They were in faith, but not in the kingdom. They were forerunners pointing to our time. Think about this. Abraham, Moses, Noah, Ruth, <laughs> Esther. All of them died in faith, believing that one day the fullness of his kingdom, they were looking forward to a builder, a city that has foundations. Remember, foundations is a system of truth. They were looking for the kingdom of God to come to earth in its fullness. They believed. They, they were like micro models of what the kingdom would look like. So when I want to know what the kingdom is today, I look at Abraham. God blessed him. He set him apart, made him wealthy, 
prosperous, became a deliverer, an interceder for cities. And God said, see that? There's a little picture of what I'm going to do right across the world amongst the believers. That should make someone excited. See, that's why you, what you're doing in your business today. You are reaping the rewards of your faith on behalf of Abraham, David, Isaac, and Jacob. This is bigger than you. So don't you dare say to me, well, I've got enough. I've got enough. I've got a house, a car. I don't need, to believe, I don't need my business to be any bigger. Yes, you do, you selfish person. Because this is the reward of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are believing that you will break through on behalf of the kingdom. Don't you dare settle for less. How selfish. They poured out their lives in faith, looking forward to the last link. No, that we would run with passion and endurance with a big vision. You saved the best to last. Daniel saw a day where God's justice would prevail. If you get time to read the book of Daniel, where the thief would repay seven times. Proverbs 6.30. Remember John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal. And Daniel said there's coming a day that he will repay. For Hebrews 11 is happy sad. It finishes quite sad. Torn asunder, stoned, Heads chopped off. These all died in faith. And God is a God of justice. He said, the enemy's going to pay for that. Everything that's been stolen, taken, every anointing cut short, every, every family broken, everything the devil... See, God is a God of justice. His throne is built on righteousness and justice. He cannot turn the other way. Oh, well, let's just call it quits. You know, you had a bit of a, the devil had a bit of a rain here, but you know, I've made up for it over here. This is a nice day today. No, no, no. Every, every word you'll be justified. God says, not even a hair on your head. God is into the minute. He doesn't turn the other eye. Everything the devil's done, he will have to repay. Yeah. Well, that's in the sweet by and by. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. These heroes of faith lived out of time. Consider this. How could the kingdom of God come to Abraham? How could David, listen, how could he be in a tent with the undiluted presence of God 24-7 when he wasn't born again? How could he do what Moses and all his entourage couldn't do? They went into the Holy of Holies. They stayed too long, had sin in their life. Pull them out. Next, please. You know how fearsome it was. How did David overturn that? How did he get to step into what we have today when he belonged to another time? They were living demonstrations of a future day. And so I say to you today, we will taste of the age to come before we enter that age. That's the way God operates. So that tells me, you can say, well, you know, all these things God shall repay when he comes from heaven with his angels and we go to heaven. No, repayment's on earth. And he will have a generation of people of great faith. And their victory will be the victory of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. They will know how to live in faith. They will know how to conquer. Egypt is our model. Four generations sowed as slaves, got not one cent. The last generation comes and says, we'll have all that. Yeah. I'm having my grandpapa's money and my grandmother's money. They work for 80 years. I'll have all the overtime. I'll have their work cover. I'll have their sick leave. I'll have their life insurance, I'll have their superannuations, and I'll have that on compound interest, if you please. Listen what happened, and they looted them. Why did Pharaoh chase them? Because they stole all his, still they took all his money. So I say to you, faith ushers in a victorious realm, a reign of victory. 
And so what we're going for today in our own lives, in our church, in our city, we're saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let victory come today. We're in a wonderful season where God is st- has stored up all his judgment on what the enemies did, and he's about to release untold blessing on his people. So we position ourselves like Abraham, as a man or woman of faith, in a hostile environment. We say, all right, Lord, let your kingdom come through me. And he says, you know what? Whoever touches you, I'll curse those that curse you, and I'll bless those that bless you. I'll set you apart. I'll bring an Eden to your household. I'll bring an Eden to your life. I'll set you apart. People will know that you are the blessed of the Lord. And I'll repay all that the enemy has stolen. He's stolen health. He's stolen years. He's stolen ideas. God says, I'm going to give it back to men and women of great faith. Abundant life is ours this year. In Jesus' name. And this month we're saying... We're saying, as, as when we came together as pastors and our, our team, that we're believing in February that the theme shall be victorious life. Abundant life is our theme for the year, but in February we're saying, Lord, we demand the victory in every area of our life. Is there an area where you need victory in that's been a besetting problem, a challenge that you can't break through? Well, let's believe together. And we're going to give you this card as you leave. And it says, I speak words of life. I am satisfied with the good that is produced by the fruit of my words. I encourage you to put that on your TV or your fridge. Both probably have the same effect. And as you go and you read it, maybe on your mirror where you wash in the morning and declare that over your life, speak victory. Remember what I said today, that, that you're building faith. Get the Word of God into you. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Meditate on that for the month. Declare the Word. Produce and harvest in your world. And so, Father, I pray today for your life to flow over your people. Let the life of God right now come into every area where people need breakthrough. I proclaim victory in their lives in Jesus' name. Thank you for this word. Let it settle in the hearts of your people. I release kingdom life today in Jesus' name. I release great faith into your people today. I thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.